Get ready for that NLP bloke, Stuff and Uncommon Sense, where we're going to look at some things that I found useful for being a human in the 21st century. It's a laid-back place for ideas, chat techniques drawn from 20 years of learning and delivering NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, in very, very practical ways, and also some other ways of understanding how people tick. I'm Alan Johnson, that NLP bloke. I'm a trainer and a therapist with Change Working. Be comfortable and enjoy this down-to-earth, irreverent and no-nonsense practical approach to NLP and much, much more. Episode 1. I can't be everyone's cup of tea. Or, how to fall in love with your fears, not give a stuff what anyone thinks, and just be happy. Well, here we go. Episode one. I've been putting off doing a podcast or any kind of stuff like this for a long time because of my own fears. Wondering what people will think is natural. I really, part of me really doesn't care and part of me still must care a lot. And that's because it's natural to think about what people are going to think of this. But I'm going to do it anyway. I realise a lot of the audience will know me already, will have trained with me, but I'm hoping if you're new to this, you'll listen to what I've got to say, and I know that already you've decided whether I'm for you or not. Because the point is, you can't be everyone's cup of tea. If you were, you'd have to be a mug. I learned this over many years. I've been a people pleaser. I've been someone who wanted everyone to like me. And I know that that's just not possible now. So learning... Not to care what people think is a skill that we can all learn. It's all about our comfort zone. Our comfort zone is designed to keep us comfortable. There's no surprise there. Our unconscious mind is there to protect us. Its only job is to protect us and keep us alive. And it does this by making our world familiar and similar. And it needs to make sense of things around it. So what it'll do is it'll allow us to feel comfortable with stuff it knows and it'll give us signals when it's something we don't know. So for instance, if you're doing your daily job, if you're getting up, getting ready, going to work, driving down the road, you've probably noticed that you've driven 10 miles sometimes on the motorway without even realising you've done it. It's like you've drifted off, you've gone into the unconscious and your unconscious is driving for you. Until suddenly there's a wagon in front of you and you wake up and realise that you weren't really fully focused on the road, but your unconscious was driving for you. It knows how to drive. You know how to drive. It keeps you safe. You get up on a morning, you get ready. You've got a routine. It's comfortable. It's easy. It doesn't stress us. When we feel stressed and anxious, it's us going outside of our comfort zone. So our unconscious will give us a signal. It's often butterflies in the stomach, it's thoughts racing through our head, it's palms sweating, heart racing, feeling a bit sick. All of those symptoms are just signs that we're moving slightly outside of our comfort zone. And instead of reacting to that with fear or anything else, if we just take that as it's just my unconscious saying, are you sure you want to do this? And my unconscious has recently been saying, are you sure you want to do this? Because... Although I train for a living and I talk about this stuff every day when I'm working, 
to put it down on a podcast has been a bit daunting for me. So my comfort zone has been pushed. But I've listened to my body and I've realised that it's just my unconscious saying, hey, Alan, you've never done this before. Are you sure you want to do it? And the thought that we put to the feeling is what makes the difference. So I often use the example of a parachute jump. Now, if you've not done a parachute jump and I said to you, right, you're going to have to do this now. Come on, we're going to the airfield now. We're going to get some practice. We're going to get some training. You're going to be strapped to a hunky guy who's going to chuck you out of the plane with him. How many people would want to do it? If you said you wanted to do it, or if you said you didn't want to do it, what you probably notice is, either way, the signal for whether you want to do it or not is the same. So think about this. Those of you that wanted to do it, whereabouts in your body did you feel that feeling? In your stomach, possibly, or in your throat or in your chest. Those of you who didn't want to do it, where did you feel the feeling? Probably in exactly the same place because it's adrenaline. It's a chemical getting pumped around our body to say, are you sure? Now, the thought we put to that makes a difference to how we'll respond to it. So if you didn't want to do the parachute jump and you got this feeling of flip-flops in your tummy, you're probably thinking something along the lines of, I'm going to die. I'm the only person who's ever going to die from jumping out of an aeroplane this year. Because your brain has thought this feeling must mean I'm going to die. When we think that thought, then that feeling gets bigger and we tend to escape, run away, be avoidant, worry, panic, stress, become hypervigilant. And we call that feeling in our tummy fear. If you wanted to do the parachute jump, when you get that signal in your, in your tummy, you will think, wow, this is exciting. I've not done this before. This could be fun. I like to challenge myself. I get this feeling and it makes me go towards it. And I call this feeling excitement. Now, it's not as glib or as simple as fear and excitement are the same thing, because they're not. You know they're not. They feel completely different. But the physical chemical that you're pumping around your body is the same. So knowing from that, it's the thought that we put to our feelings that cause our behaviour. And we can see this in people every day who get this feeling and they become so used to not going for things because they get the slightest feeling in their tummy or in their chest or in the throat or in the head or wherever it comes along. And what they have learned to think is, that's scary, I'm going to run away, I'm going to avoid. And if you find ev yourself ever doing any of that stuff, running away, avoiding, putting off, procrastinating, getting around to it one day, then that's probably something to do with a feeling that you're getting that you're interpreting as a scary thing. Now, I've got to admit, doing this, the thought of doing this, has felt a bit scary for me. It's out of my comfort zone. But what we do when we want to self-develop is to go past that fear and go, well, what's the worst that can happen? Let's just go for it. And because by now you've decided whether I'm for you, I'm not everyone's cup of tea, you've probably, possibly switched off before this. That's good. That's okay. That's what I need. I need you to switch off if I'm not for you. I need you to be intrigued if I am for you. And I'm not really too bothered either way. That's a state that I've got myself into over many, many years of being bothered about what people think. I used to worry that everyone didn't like me. I used to worry about making people happy. 
And what I realised when I did that, it wasn't making me happy. So what I've done in recent years is just allowed myself to be me and you can decide whether I'm for you or not. Because what you think about me is none of my business. What someone else thinks about you is none of your business. That is where madness lies. That's where you can make yourself very, very unhappy, wondering about what other people are thinking. And in the 21st century, with social media, we have got a lot more judgment in the air. We have got a lot more stuff going on that people might be frightened of listening to. We have instant access. I'm sure that I put this uh, when I put this out, some people won't like it. They might even put a comment on there, like that's going to make any difference. But that's what we have in this world now. We have a lot of judgment. We have a lot of opportunity to criticise and judge. And if we take those things to heart, then that's going to close down our comfort zone. The one thing about comfort zone that I've learned is the less you take yourself outside of your comfort zone, the harder it is to take yourself outside your comfort zone. Your comfort zone will shrink. The less you do things that are outside of your norm, the harder it is to do things that are outside of your norm. We call this being stuck in our ways, possibly, or getting older. I'm 54 at the minute, and I'm certainly finding myself liking more familiarity than I used to like. But even so, I will still push myself outside my comfort zone. Do one thing every day that scares you is a really good little way of thinking about the world. Doing things that you've not done and test them out and then decide whether they're for you or not. When I hear people saying, I won't like that, or that won't work, some of the techniques that we use with the stuff I do, people go, oh, that won't work. And I'll ask, well, how do you know? And they'll say, well, there's no scientific evidence for it. And I'll say, well, test it out, see if it works, then decide whether it works or not. We've got a lot of opportunity to test ourselves. A lot of the things that I train to people are quite unusual and they give people strange uh, experiences sometimes for things that they've never experienced. But one really good way to reframe that feeling that we might get in the pit of our stomach or where else in our body is this just my unconscious asking if I want to do it. It's just a signal. It's a symptom to tell us that this is different and we've not done this before. Something to do with the way we're made, in my opinion, is that as animals, we're made to survive and not necessarily to thrive. So our unconscious is often keen to keep us the same, keep things as they are, because it's better the devil you know. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That seems different. That seems scary. Are you sure you want to do it? So it's not too bothered if we thrive. It just wants us to stay alive. And anything that's new or unfamiliar can be very, very scary to the unconscious. So what it can do is just prevent us from doing things, avoid things, keep out the way of things, never push ourselves, never challenge ourselves. And of course, when we do that, our comfort zone shrinks. So when sometimes we have to do something outside of our, our normal, we can get really, really anxious and stressed. As humans, we tend to hang on and hold on to those things that make us stressed. We'll wake up on a morning with a level of stress. But if you look at animals, look at dogs. So a lot of you that are listening have probably got dogs or you know people who've got dogs. We've got two little Shih Tzu dogs um, that are very friendly. But of course, as most dogs are, are very territorial. But dogs are really, really happy. Aren't dogs really, really happy? And 
optimistic, not like cats. I won't talk about cats. But the dogs, uh, it's almost like they're going along going, oh, wow, a ball, my favourite thing. Oh, some food, my favourite thing. Oh, um, my owner, my favourite thing. And they're always excited and happy and optimistic. Our two dogs, we've been emptying stuff into the bin, the food into the bin in the kitchen, for 15 years, one of the dogs is 15-year-old. And every night, he looks at the bottom of the bin, waiting for the food to come out. Today might be the day that the food goes on the floor and I'll be able to get it. They never give up. But when they're going to the garden sometimes, we've got a six-foot fence, and cats in the neighbourhood crawl along the top of the fence, annoying the cats, annoying the dogs, knowing that the dogs will never get them. So the dogs are happy and calm. They see the dogs and they bark. And as soon as the cats disappear, they go back to being calm. Oh, a ball, my favourite thing. Oh, some water, my favourite thing. Whereas humans would have an encounter with something that wasn't too happy, keep hold of it, and then replay it and feel it again and judge themselves and criticise themselves and keep going on and on in the spiral of a tower of shit, as I would call it. And it means that next time they'll be more reluctant to put themselves into anything new. So because of that behaviour over numbers of years, possibly from judgement of adults, parents, teachers, friends, social media, criticism and judgement, people can often shy away, hide themselves away from things that are new or challenging. And being able to go, well, you know what, I don't really care what anyone thinks, it's for me, I'm going to do it, and just be me. Because the more that you're just you... People can then decide whether you're for them or not. For me, the point is not to make everybody like you. The point is not to get everyone to agree with everything you think or say or do. The point is to be authentically you. If you're authentically you, if you don't judge yourself and compare yourself to anybody else, or compare yourself to you as a younger person, Oh, I wished I could be as thin as I was when I was 20. I wished I had as much energy as when I was 15. You haven't got a time machine. We are where we are, who we are, as we are right now. The more we confidently accept that's who we are, we're just us. We're not meant to be for everyone. How exhausting would it be? If we all were the same, how boring would that be? Can you imagine? Hundreds of people just like you, or just like me, that would be terrible. We're different. We're all different. We're all made differently. We have different preferences, different things that we like and don't like, different ways of thinking and feeling and being. And every one of them is okay. There are 68 million ways to be in the UK. Each person's unique and individual. But what a lot of people can make the mistake of doing is well, everyone's like me, aren't they? Everyone thinks like me. Everybody does the things the way I do them. But that's absolutely not true. We walk into a room full of strangers. We expect them all to look different. It would be terrible if there was a bunch of clones of us, wouldn't it? So we just expect people to look different. Different heights, different skin colour, different eye colour, uh, different ages, all sorts of things. We just expect it. We t we're able to spot small differences in that. But we can walk into a room and if we think everyone's like me, everyone thinks like me, everything, everybody feels what I feel, everybody does what I do, then it's just not possible, is it? Everybody's unique on the inside. 
There are 68 million ways to be in the UK. 68 million and all of those are okay. As long as that person isn't hurting anyone else or isn't doing damage to themselves, let them be. They're just being who they are. They're not doing things against you, possibly. They're just doing things for themselves. So when we realise that the diversity on the inside of people is thousands of times more diverse than the, ch the change on the outside, the way we are different on the outside. So the stuff that I train, this neuro-linguistic programming stuff, NLP, and the other things that we do, is all about acceptance of difference, understanding that just because I did it that way doesn't mean they would. One of the worst things a lot of us have heard as children is, why can't you be more like your brother or from the teacher? Why can't you be a student like this student? And the answer is, because I'm not them. Or a boss that says, well, I managed to do it, why can't you? Well, I'm not you. I'm me. And I'm authentic to me. The more authentic I am to who I actually should be, the less influence from external stuff like uh, the, the politics that are spoken on television, the social media, friends, peer pressure, things that we may have picked up as children that we're still hanging on to the more we can go, you know what, that's not me. I was doing that because that's what I thought I should do. I'm doing that because that's a belief I picked up from my parents. I'm doing that because it used to be true and it used to make sense. But actually, it doesn't have to make sense anymore. As long as I'm being authentic to me, then the people who are for me will find me and the people who are not will go by me. And that's absolutely fine. If you've got any friends that you still keep in touch with and every time they ring, you see the number on the phone, you go, oh my God, it's them again. And you make a diff, you make an avoidance or you sit yourself down with a cuppa and something to eat and you just listen and the person's saying the same old things again and nothing's changed, the same conversation, the stuckness they're showing. They've told you the same thing hundreds of times. What are they in your life for? Especially if they don't reciprocate. So people who you feel are not for you anymore, it's okay to just gently withdraw from them. The people you put yourself around at work, your friendship groups, wherever you go online, are they for you or are you doing that because you think it's what you should do? Are you getting something from that relationship anymore? And if you're not, what are you doing it for? What are you around people who are possibly toxic and possibly not very helpful for you to be you people who don't get you and don't accept you as you are what are we doing that for and of course we've got to get on with the world and work with people if we're at work um, and manage people who are difficult if that's part of our role but generally outside of those formal roles of work and possibly some of the family stuff what are you putting yourself around those people for if you're not happy with what's going on with them. Next time somebody rings you up, those people who just offload only ring when there's a problem. They never ring in between. And if you ring them, they're too busy. You know those kind of people? Well, next time they ring, answer and go, okay, you've said this a thousand times. What are you actually going to do about it? And one thing's going to happen or another thing's going to happen. They're either going to go, whoa, hold on. You're supposed to just listen to me, whinge. And they'll never ring you again. If you don't ask them, uh, you don't go back to your own ways. Or they'll listen and they'll say, well, I'd like to do this. And possibly you can help them to do it. But just being there to absorb other people's unhappiness is probably not going to make you very happy either. 
So <clears throat> NLP is something that's really helped me over the years. <clears throat> in my early 20s, as if you've trained with me, you'll know this, um, I became quite depressed. I had quite bad emotional problems. And at the time, I was a mental health nurse working in a prison, as it happens. And I knew that I could get medication, I could um, go down the, the normal route for managing low mood. But I, even at that time before I'd done any NLP or anything like that, I knew that unless I changed the way that I see the world, unless I changed me and what I made of the world, the feelings I was getting and what I made, made sense of the world, how I made sense of the world, I knew that I'd always be vulnerable to it. And what I needed to do was change me on the inside so that I was resilient to those things, so that it wouldn't happen again. And I'm not saying it changed overnight. I went off on a journey of learning all sorts of things. And NLP was the thing that really, really spoke to me and helped me to understand that actually the world is no different no matter what I do. It's how I respond to the world that makes the difference. So changing some things about who I put myself around, changing some of the things I believed about the world made a big difference to me. And now, although I do have my moments and it's starting to do a podcast seemed very scary but 20 minutes in I'm actually really comfortable with this I was thinking what am I going to say am I going to be able to talk for long enough what will people think well I wasn't really bothered about that but I did think it and I'm just now wondering what the hell was I worried about why haven't I not done this before and that's because that part of me that feared judgment that feared what people thought took over for a while just to make sure I was sure I wanted to do this and now I'm up and doing it I don't need that part anymore I can do this comfortably and easily whenever I want to now the thing with me is remembering to do it and being consistent so I hope you've enjoyed my first ramblings my intention is so if you've, if you've lasted this long I'm going to tell you what we're going to do next uh, my intention is to do these weekly or sporadically knowing me or whenever something comes to my mind. Um, but if you've got any questions, please ask a question by either emailing me, alan at changeworking.co.uk, or on the link on this podcast, do us a vo voice message. Anything you want me to cover, any questions you want to ask me. My intention is to do um, rambling with a bit of training in it, to also get some guests to ask them how NLP and other allied things have helped them. Um, and... Any input you'd like to see, let's let's make this a working thing. The way I train NLP, for those of you that haven't been on any of my courses, is just like I'm talking now, in the very down-to-earth Northern England way. Um, it's that NLP bloke, because it's down-to-earth, it's real-world, and it's practical. I've been on a lot of courses where NLP and other things are used, and it's all hype, it's all... Um, high energy, it's all woo woo and standing on chairs and being really um, in your power stuff and I think for a lot of normal people, a lot of people in the UK, that's just not the way we operate and I've also found a lot of NLP which has been really touchy feely um, really super sensitive and emotional and that's not most people either so I, where I've learned to train it over the past 16 years is in the middle ground, in that how do I use this in the real in the real world? How do I acknowledge that the world isn't perfect, my life isn't perfect, stuff happens? How do I manage things? It's not what happens to you in your life, but it's what you do with what happens to you in your life. 
my background originally was working as a nurse and then I've worked in prisons, probation service and also in drug and alcohol services um, for many years before I started doing this training. And I learned how to use the skills, A, to help me be the best me I could be, and B, how to help my clients, but also how to work with my colleagues, how to be a good manager, how to manage my manager. Because essentially for me, NLP is just about understanding how we tick. How am I? How are you? How do I get the best out of me? And when we've got similarities and differences, how do we get the best out of each other? How do we work together to make this work really, really well? Because we're all stumbling along we're all doing what we can most of us are winging it and we're doing the best that we can do nlp and the other skills and tools that we've got can really help make those things better having more good days more of the time having more good interactions with people more of the time so i'm not everyone's cup of tea you're not everyone's cup of tea you don't like everyone so why should everyone like you be okay with who you are, be authentic. The people that are for you will love it more. The people who aren't for you would never have loved it in the first place. Those of you who are self-employed, find out your voice, find out who you are and be it. You might lose some clients, but they were clients you weren't going to enjoy working with anyway. So, that's it, the first podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Do whatever you need to do to click it, like it, share it spread the word, and you never know, I might do some more. You've been listening to me, Alan Johnson, That NLP Bloke. Find me at changeworking.co.uk. Email, pass messages on. I'd be really happy to hear from you.